Welcome to the Mar Experience. I'm Matt Shedd. In this episode, we're going to look at the practice of mindfulness in addiction treatment and how it can help as an entry point for clients resistant to spirituality or the concept of a higher power. We talk about how mindfulness skills can help clients navigate the severe emotional ups and downs that they experience in early recovery. So um, I'm Todd Valentine. I'm an LCSW. Um, I currently work at MAR at the Men's Center as the Extended Recovery Residence uh, Residential Manager, as well as the Aftercare Counselor um, and Alumni Coordinator. Um, so I'm Kaylee Binkley. I'm the Program Director of the Women's Center here at MAR. I'm Melanie Storston, also licensed clinical social worker. Um, I've worked um, primarily in the addiction field for about 11 years um, with dual diagnosis at all levels of care. Um, and then since, well full-time since April of last year. I've been in my own private practice, which is Align Wellness Solutions. Kaylee, why don't you tell me the difference between mindfulness and meditation? What is the difference? Um, so I think, you know, when a lot of people are introduced to the idea of mindfulness, they think of a monk sitting on a cushion in silence, wearing a red robe, having a completely clear mind. And, you know, being someone who struggled with with black and white thinking, um, that was that was an extreme or that that sounded like something that I was never going to be able to do. Um, and so what my all mindfulness is, is mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment. And you can pay attention to anything in the present moment. You can actually just pay attention to the running tape or dialogue of thoughts in your head. And technically that even in and of itself is mindfulness. Um, so the goal is not to not to clear your mind, but to pay attention in this moment. Um, and so like, as far as like what meditation is, there's a bunch of different types of meditation. But essentially, the way I think about it is that mindfulness is like this overall category of paying attention in the present moment. And meditation is a form of mindfulness. Um, but there's a bunch of different forms of mindfulness as well, mindful stretching and yoga and things like that, mm -hmm. um, which all kind of fall under the umbrella of mindfulness. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So to add to that too, um, so like every other week or every once a month or something, we'll go on a mindful walk, mm. which is really about being in the present moment. So I encourage the guys, our brains are really wired to kind of constantly be thinking and going off rabbit holes of in the future, in the past. Right. And so we, it's kind of just a wild untrained horse. And so, what I ask the guys to do is your brain is going to do that while we go on this walk for 20 minutes. Every time you can and you become aware that you've wandered off on some thought, bring yourself back to your breath. Bring yourself back to the feel of the breeze on your skin. Feel um, uh, the perspiration, your heart rate. Come back to your breath and just watch your breath. Feel the pavement under your skin. All those are just mindful being in the moment, helping guys to get out of that kind of rabbit hole stuff that they get into of anxiety and stress and what if and wh why not and and all of that so that's that's mindfulness is that it, that's yeah that, yeah so do, no, normal people wouldn't probably think of that as meditation right but it's mindfulness right i yeah. gotcha yeah i gotcha yeah i'll speak to this a little bit because i think um, mindfulness to me is a much more clinical term and meditation. Um, I'm also a certified yoga teacher. And so meditation is a, a big part of that. So I think of meditation as more, um, 
a, a spiritual practice, right, that helps me to connect to my highest self or my higher power. And mindfulness is kind of, it's really the first step of that. So in yoga, there's like eight limbs, only one of which is like the physical poses of yoga. Um, and many of them have to do with like kind of stages of meditation, if you will. So meditation is one of the eight limbs of yoga, but before that is concentration and breath practices. And so when we talk about mindfulness, we're really talking about that concentration piece where you're like choosing a thing to learn to train your mind on, right? And that thing is generally in the present moment whether it's something you're sensing with your body or you're focusing on your breath. So I think of mindfulness as we started to recognize the great benefits of meditation and everyone is not going to be so disciplined to have like meditation or interested to have meditation as a spiritual practice, but we kind of like could extract some of the simple, more accessible tools from that so that people can um, kind of get a a little window in Mm. without having to be this monk on a hill mm-hmm. right or have any sort of religious or spiritual Absolutely. practice or affiliation or anything mm-hmm. okay gotcha so let, let's talk now about how this relates specifically to addiction like how can mindfulness help people that are struggling with uh, addiction I believe that one of the main reasons it's helpful is that when our mind is left to its own devices, it's generally uh, like when we're not focused on a specific task, our mind is generally doing one of a few things. It's like worrying about the future, judging the present moment, or ruminating on the past. And so these different parts of our brains that are like lit up during this like free time for our brain is called the default mode network. And so um, they've done lots of studies. A lot of the studies with mindfulness have been shown about how mindfulness is an effective tool to decrease the activity in this default mode network. And so if you think about Um, If I'm spending way too much time worrying about the future or ruminating on the past or judging the present moment, um, heightened activity in the default mode network is associated with pretty much every mental health disorder there is, including addiction. Um, And actually, one of the things that drugs and alcohol do is turn down the volume Mm. on the default mode network, and that's why people experience so much relief. And so mindfulness and meditation also can turn down the volume on that type of brain activity. Um, And the really positive thing about meditation and mindfulness is that the benefits don't only last while you're practicing. They carry on um, even after. Gotcha. So rather than just having the benefit while you're drinking, but then once you're done drinking, there's no benefit. And there is an overall benefit of using mindfulness. Yes. Right. And right. also mindfulness won't wreck your life. Right. <laughs> you also get to avoid a lot of negative consequences. The hangovers are much better. The legal issues. Yeah, people right. in your life are not concerned that you're meditating too much right. or your yeah. mindfulness practice is interfering with your yes. job or your <laughs> right. parenting or anything like that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, so our brains evolved, um, as I understand it, to when a tiger was about to leap at, out at you, mm-hmm. you would go into fight-flight mode, right? And you your breath would increase. You'd mm-hmm. be heightened adrenaline, cortisol, all rushing through your body to save your life. And then when that's removed, 
you get back into a, a calm state, hopefully. Well, in our modern day society, as I understand it, we've kind of gotten into a permanent kind of heightened state of stress and anxiety. And our body doesn't know the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. And so if we're driving in cars and we're getting all anxious and stressed out, our body perceives that as a life, th life threat. Even though it's not a life threat, our body reacts the same way with the stress hormones and all that stuff. So a lot of us are constantly in kind of this heightened adrenaline, which inflames our body and, and causes all kinds of health issues and all that kind of stuff. Mindfulness, I, from my experience, because it lasts after you finish it, mm -hmm. gets us out of that that fight-flight response that we're constantly in on some level in many ways in our modern-day society because mm -hmm. things are just coming at us and we're perceiving them as threats all mm -hmm. the time. Um, so I think for our clients um, living in this modern-day society, mindfulness helps them. They Their coping mechanism has been to use drugs and alcohol to cope with all that stuff and remove it. This is another way. This is an alternative. It's a tool in the toolbox that they can use to help resolve, relieve some of that anxiety and stress and heightened fight-flight mode that they tend to be in. Right. I really love mindfulness as a tool also because it's something you can give to someone and something so simply as like just taking one deep intentional breath slows your respiration, deepens your respiration, lowers your blood pressure, lowers your heart rate. Like it counteracts all of those anxious things that are happening in our body. So uh, people can kind of experiment with mindfulness right away and see for themselves that it works. But let's do that. Yeah. Something to introduce our listeners into like what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So um, definitely just get into a comfortable seat. So if you're driving right now, uh, maybe don't do this. <laughs> Just do it. Do it later when yeah, you can right. fully kind of relax. Um, but get into a comfortable seat. Um, close your eyes if that feels good to you. And just start breathing in and out through your nose. And just um, let your breath naturally slow down and deepen. And any thoughts that come into your mind about other things you should be doing right now, just try to kind of not judge them. Just let them go and bring your attention back to your breath. And begin to allow your breath to completely fill up your belly with every inhale. And as you exhale, just kind of gently pull your belly button towards your spine. And as you focus on your breath, also just hold within your awareness any physical sensations you might be having without judgment or trying to change them, but just noticing. Maybe notice any emotional sensations that you might be having. And then bring your awareness back to focus only on your breath. Just noticing what it feels like to completely be present in this moment.
And then whenever you're ready, you can blink open your eyes. That was great because I got to see in real time. It's like, okay, is this going to be, I could see my thoughts. Like, is this going to be interesting for people to listen to? All of that judging the present yeah, moment right. stuff. Are these guys okay just sitting here for a second? Are they, you know, like I can just see my mind just mm -hmm. going, going, going. And yeah. that was just a few, I mean, not, not very long right. at all. And that's the, that's another thing that I really love about mindfulness is that when we do quiet ourselves, we can like notice that, uh, baloney that our brains do mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. um, and see, you know, oh, these are my thought patterns and mm -hmm. this is kind of how I talk to myself. And it yeah. can be very, very interesting and lots of insights can come up. Yeah. It can be kind of humbling too, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even as I'm leading the meditation, right. I'm like, am I doing this too yeah, long? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Well, and that's what's really important too, is that just like Kaylee talked about, uh, it's not totally silencing your mind. It's like, that's not the goal of this thing. The yeah. goal of the thing is to start to know your mind better, mm -hmm. um, to be able to kind of watch your thoughts and where it goes and see those things and sit in non-judgment of those things and be kind of a gentle, kind parent or grandparent to those judging thoughts that will start, oh my gosh, my mind's wandering. I'm a terrible meditator. I suck at this. <laughs> no, just return to your breath, mm -hmm. be kind, be non-judgmental. Yeah. Those are the things you get to start doing to yourself that when, because we have such critical minds that just rip ourselves and everything else apart. And mindfulness can really help with that and kind of being a kinder, gentler, non-judgmental person for mm -hmm. ourselves and about the world around us yeah. as well. So. Mm -hmm. I like to think when my mind wanders in meditation and I notice it and bring it back because that is very frustrating, I think, for new meditators because they have that misconception that it's like, oh, my brain won't stop. I'm awful I'm, at I'm this. I'm so bad at this. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. But that's just what brains do. Uh -huh. um, so your your brain's not ever probably going to stop doing that. I right. think I, you know, every time you notice that your mind has wandered, it gives you another opportunity to bring it back. And I think of that mm. as like a rep of an exercise, right? That's, that's the practice of meditation. Rather than a failure. It's like, this is where, okay, here's where I get to practice. Right. Yeah. So you're getting to exercise that meditation muscle mm. a little more. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, truly. So if you're meditating for five minutes and you notice seven times that you wandered off or you notice twice or you notice 70 in those five minutes that you wandered off, you just had 70 reps mm -hmm. or five reps or though you had reps. Though the moment of waking back up to, oh, I've wandered off into the stream of consciousness that is my thought process and I've woken back up to the present moment, That that's the moment. Mm. That's that, great. Yeah. So there are two other um, benefits, I think, of using mindfulness in addiction recovery that I want to mention too. Um, one is urge surfing for cravings. So one of the things that happens when we pay attention to an emotion or an urge or a sensation in our body, um, paying attention to it and acknowledging it allows you to stop the process of fighting it. And often when we are, when we're fighting things and we're, when we're denying things, we're actually making them worse. Um, an example of this is like if you have a negative emotion, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our women have have judgments about like fear. So they'll be afraid of something and then they're like, I shouldn't be afraid. Like I'm such a bad person because I'm afraid of this. But this is and, and so it's like it's creating like a double negative, essentially, like you you're adding to it. And so if you're having cravings and you're thinking to yourself like, oh, my God, I'm having cravings. How am I going to deal with this? 
like this is overwhelming. If you tell yourself this is overwhelming, I can't deal with this and you stay in those thoughts, the craving is overwhelming and it's much more difficult to deal with. But if you can approach the the craving with with curiosity and with beginner's mind as if it's the first time you're having that sensation and you're like paying attention to it as if you're like a news reporter or something like that. So you're, you're just paying attention to the details of it. Um, and so there's a lot of research that shows how this helps with cravings as well as with physical pain as well. Um, and so what happens in the body when someone has physical pain is similar to cravings. Um, but that's, that's one way that I think it's really helpful. Mm. Um, so the other, the other way that I think breathing is helpful in recovery, um, is pace breathing. And that's where you pace your breathing and you slow it, um, to a certain pace that's natural to you where your exhale is longer than your inhale. Um, and so this is a skill that, that you, that you use when you're experiencing a very high distress a very high level of a distressing emotion. So if you are are really upset, you're really angry, you're really afraid, um, what you want to do is you want to get your your emotionometer, so to speak, down to a lower level where you can be more effective. And so pace breathing is one of the first things that um, that we teach clients when they come in so that if they do have that experience where they're at like an 8, a 9, or a 10 and they don't know what to do, because there's, there's only so many things you can do when you're at that level. Um, and they're not going to be effective. Most of them are, are drinking when people are using, when people come into treatment. Um, what they know how to do when they feel that level of an emotion is make it go away with drugs and alcohol. Um, and so when they come in, we teach them like, okay, this is going to happen. You're going to feel this level of an emotion. It's normal. Don't panic when this happens. Um, and try this instead. Wow. So, and that's how you frame it. This is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get to a nine. You're going to feel emotions. You're going to get upset. Um, Really, recovery is about dealing with things differently, coping Mm -hmm. differently. um, So it's ways that are less damaging. Right. So it's not like I learned these set of skills so I can be calm for the rest of my life. Right. You know, which is (laughs) that would be so great. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, and also, you, I, I get the guys to check out their emotional state and then check it. Where's that, where are you feeling that in your body? Mm-hmm. And so they get, start to have more of a way, an awareness and a connection. They, so many of them have just gotten caught up in their heads and they're, you know, they're all in it. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden you connect to your body and your body is a great, a great communicator to you of what's going on with you. So all of a sudden, if you realize, man, when I'm feeling anxious, my palms start to sweat, uh, my heart rate goes up and you're aware of that, then sometimes they, they get disconnected from that and if they can check in with their body. They're like, Oh wow! I'm really—they're not even aware they're feeling anxiety, mm-hmm. but they can—if they start having some mindfulness practice and having that connection, they can be like, "Oh wow, I'm really feeling anxiety right now." They can practice, and then they can start pulling out some of their tools to to manage that, to be mindful for a moment, or to call their sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that mindful practice of kind of connecting with our body and connecting in the present moment, our body's a great indicator of our present moment state. What's going on with this? Which mm-hmm. is again what mindfulness is kind of about—is mm-hmm. awareness of the present moment. So. And mindfulness practice has been around for thousands of years. Right. This right. isn't something that like therapists made up recently or anything right. like that. Um, there have been many therapists recently who have been very into mindfulness and have made big movements within mindfulness and great contributions, but it's not actually a new concept. Um, it's become very popular in like, just general culture. Mindfulness was on the cover of Time Magazine, I think, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, 
definitely a huge, a huge like cultural interest in it, but it's definitely been a great addition to addiction recovery. And also probably not a new one. I don't think it's like something that we're doing that's new. Sponsors have been telling their sponsees to pray and meditate for, you know, decades. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think it's important to um, not let our egos think that we are inventing or creating something like right. new and brilliant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just using something that's been effective for a really long time. How do you get your clients to buy into doing this yeah they have the experience of um often you don't understand me you don't understand my problems you don't understand how big my emotions are you're talking about breathing but you don't understand like what my experience is so i think it's really important where where we time it and how you explain like hey you're gonna need some different skills um and that's usually how i start the conversation you know we we sit down and do a coping skills card when someone comes into the women's center um and we basically you know a big part of our program is you use drugs and alcohol to deal with things and we need to find different ways for you to deal with all of the things that you use drugs and alcohol for. Um, and so usually people are, are very willing to, to agree with that, mm -hmm. um, that they need different skills. And we just throw this on there as like, okay, this is one of the skills like, you know, paste breathing is typically where, where I start because someone's going to need to use that when they're fear, when they're at a high level of an emotion. Um, so that's, that's typically where I start with clients. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, it's a little different because my private practice, I'm kind of, you know, it's aligned wellness solutions. I'm kind of branded as you're going right. to get all this holistic stuff when you come to <laughs> yeah, me. So yeah. people are kind of self-selecting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're on board. Yeah. Um, and some of them, you know, it's more foreign of a concept, but, um, we just use it in real time. Like mm -hmm. if they're experiencing a distressing emotion in my office, then I just jump right in with like, close your eyes, breathe into your belly. <laughs> right. And so they yeah. can experience the impact of it. So I'm interested to hear you talk about this, Todd, because I've been in your yoga group before right. I sat in on it and I've seen some resistance to doing. Yeah. And that's also what I found, you know, as I've gone into all these trainings, I'm usually one out of, 20 people that's a dude you know? uh, it's right. just like yeah. this mindfulness thing is definitely it has a feminine belief system to it or, or quality to it that the guys are like oh, I'm, not, I'm just gonna sit around and sit in my thoughts that's I, I gotta do something so i think the yoga for me and the mindful walks is the best way i found because at least they're doing something you know so um just asking the guys when they're doing the stretching I introduce mindfulness as being in the present moment and paying attention. So I get them to watch their breath. I get them to feel the sensation of the muscle that's being stretched. And they don't really realize they're doing mindfulness in that process. Um, but they are doing mindfulness, right? Um, and then on my Monday mornings when I'm doing the the meditations, I'm really, they're very brief, which I think is key because a lot of the guys coming in are so kind of their brains are, I mean, they're firing. A lot of them are ADD. They're off their medications, uh, you know, in, in many ways. Um, and so just getting them to what, you know, feel their feet, feel their touch where their hands touch their body and having them just kind of experience that for a minute or two minutes and then introducing that concept of that's, you have just achieved mindfulness. They, they get a sense that they just did it, even though they didn't know they were just doing it. Right. And so that allows them a door to open like, okay, maybe this isn't what I thought 
guru clear mind was. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's something I tangibly can do. And then I have lots of one-on-one conversations afterwards with the guys because I'm well, kind of checking out. Some of them are sitting there with their eyes open and sitting there, you know, kind of just like can't stand. And I, and I go check in with them. What's going on with you? And, mm-hmm. and why was that hard for you? And and have those conversations and then introduce, you know, have a deeper conversation about mindfulness and how the benefits of it and what it might, how they might start to practice it. And they, and they tend they'll come away with a little bit more by the time they're leaving more 90 days later they're they're, And I've heard from many of them after they've left that they, they will have some stressful moment and they'll remember, Oh yeah, that breathing thing, mm-hmm. the four, mm-hmm. the four, seven, eight count, you know, breathe in for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. And they'll go in their office and they'll use it. And they'll like, they'll text me and they'll be like, man, I just had a mindful moment. Oh, wow. Todd. Thank you. Thank you for that gift. You know? So they're not doing some mindful practice where they're meditating 30 minutes a day or anything, but they got little bits that helped mm-hmm. them in their life and little mm-hmm. tools to yeah. use. So. And that came to the surface in a moment of distress. They right. remember. Wow. Right. And some guys take to it really naturally. And once again, the therapeutic community, it's like the guys that are really struggling with it, the guys that aren't help them and talk mm-hmm. about their experience. And somehow that gets permission for the guys that are resistant to it or think it's frou-frou, fluffy stuff. You know, all of a sudden, well, nine guys over there liked it and really found it profound. What you know, it gets mm-hmm. them thinking and gets them uh, gives them permission to do it. I'd say we also try and do a variety of different mindfulness exercises, and so that really helps. Um, you know, for example, some people really connect to using their breath for mindfulness. Um, I I really connect with using using my breath for mindfulness. Some people are just not connected to their breath. If, for whatever reason. Um, and so using other things, whether they're other internal experiences, external experiences, I think clients who have ADD, ADHD, um, difficulty concentrating tend to do a little better with some of the external things, um, and just kind of grow, grow it from there. Um, but usually they're, they're pretty willing to try it. Um, we process the experience of a mindfulness activity after each, mindfulness activity. And so that helps us kind of track like which ones are good for not like which ones are good for who, but, um, like what someone's experience is in it. So if that also though helps them get more involved in it, like it becomes something we're working on as a team. Like we want everyone to benefit from mindfulness. So we try different things and then they also get to hear like about each other's experiences and sort of see like, Oh, I had that thought too. Or, you know, I had that thought, but I corrected it or this is how I brought my attention back. Um, and that, that really seems to have a big effect too. A lot of this aspect of evidence-based practices in treatment is that really it's it has to be very individualized to the person and what they're engaged in learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone comes into treatment and they're like, I'm not doing that, like I'm not doing 12-step meetings, I'm not doing breathing, what we're going to do here is we're going to be like, okay, well, what do you not like about it? Like, what do you think will work for you instead? And we're going to try some of those things and then also figure out how we can make it mindfulness-based because mm-hmm. you can literally do anything mindfully. Um, you know, if someone likes dogs, like I'm going to bring a dog in, I'm going to say, okay, just pet the dog, like pay attention to petting the dog. Hmm. You're doing mindfulness. (laughs) You didn't even realize it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, I, I think it's definitely something that, um, 
that we're going to continue to do here for sure. Just like to hear you guys comment on how you see mindfulness being compatible with 12-step based treatment. Uh, it's 100% compatible. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can be so beneficial, you know, and again, I'm coming from a place of more meditation and like the mm -hmm. whole spiritual ball mm -hmm. of wax, right? So breathing and mindfulness and quieting yourself and getting still and paying attention to the present moment and all of those things, whether you realize it or not, they're tools to connect you more deeply to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's another, um, we talked about mindfulness-based stress reduction as a specific type of meditation, but there's also um, compassion-based cognitive therapy or cognitive-based compassion therapy. I always flip them. CBCT that Emory does, and they show how meditation can increase compassion for yourself and others. Um, so I think that meditation and mindfulness can be a really good tool for people who, especially for people who struggle with this idea of a higher power, mm. um, because it, I think it's a way to connect to whatever is without any of the trappings of religion. Right, right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, step 11, sought through prayer and meditation. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, I just feel it's written, it's written right in there. It's there. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, so yeah. I don't see how it's not compatible. And I do like the, the compassion part, the loving I love doing the loving kindness meditation with the guys where they, you make some basically affirming statements of, you know, may I be, be filled with loving kindness, may I be at peace, may I be filled mm -hmm. with joy, may I... Um, and then you do it for yourself, then you do it for someone else, then you do it for someone you have a, straight, a slight resentment towards. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you, the expansion of compassion for yourself and for others is, is something that addicts and alcoholics have become so self-hatred. Yeah. And, and also thinking, not thinking about anybody else. And all of a sudden, they can have compassion for themselves and they start to have an inkling of compassion for others again and kind of waking up that... Mm -hmm. compassion muscle is a real important part of mindfulness, I think, as well. If you've yeah. got a resentment towards some person and all of a sudden you're saying over and over again, may they be filled with loving kindness, may they be filled with joy, may they be uh, may, may they be at peace, mm -hmm. um, and you, got, you do that over again, all of a sudden the resentment and the forgiveness starts to kind of come in, um, that's going to be pr very powerful. Yeah, mm. that's great. The other place I see them go together, the 12-step program and mindfulness go together, is in nature. Um, a lot of people who struggle to identify a spiritual higher power um, identify nature as their higher power. And nature is one of the most, I think, helpful ways to practice mindfulness is being in nature and being aware of different sounds and different sights and sensations. Um, so I think maybe for, for those who are struggling um, with a spiritual connection, um, using nature as that can be, can be super helpful and mindfulness can kind of bring them to that connection. They establish that connection through practicing mindfulness in nature. With what we've talked about in mind, what's something that you would pass on to the listeners if you had to, something that you just know to be true? So I, what I would say is, is start somewhere and know that it doesn't have to be big. Um, practicing mindfulness and getting the benefit of it does take a few tries. Um, but starting somewhere really small, even if it's two minutes on the calm.com app or, um, you know, just paying attention to walk outside your house and listen to the birds if you live in Atlanta, um, starting somewhere small and just taking your brain out of the future and out of the past and putting it in the moment um, and try it. 
Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of good if you're in the Atlanta area, and I'm sure probably in other cities as well. There's a lot of great um, teachers out there, courses you can go where you, it, it's helpful to sometimes be a part of a group as opposed mm-hmm. to starting to just try something on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, the apps are great if you want to do it on your own, but if you have a group where you're going to go to and there's some a level level of accountability um, and a teacher that's kind of teaching you this stuff, they're eight week courses oftentimes where you go meet for a couple hours a week and then you go practice on your own on an own at home. Um, that might be a great way to get introduced to this. If you feel like I just can't sit there in my own house and I'm, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. that. That might be my advice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I came up with something. That was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think this is the most important thing that I tell my clients, you know, most of the time when people come into a counseling office or into treatment, there's something about themselves that they're wanting to change and that's all wonderful. But sometimes, uh, And when we're starting a meditation or mindfulness practice also, we can kind of use the way we want to change as a weapon against ourselves, right? Like, oh, I meant to meditate today and I didn't and I'm a horrible person. And so I think identifying what your goals are is great, but it can't be – you cannot attach your worth to the goal. You have to you have to make changes coming from a place of I'm ar- I'm already okay I'm already a worthwhile human being um, who would like to start meditating maybe but even if I don't I'm still okay um, because when we attach shame to stuff we're actually less likely to change our behavior yeah oh man that's great Melanie Kaylee Todd um, this was this was excellent I hope people find it helpful awesome thank yeah, you yeah thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you want to connect with us, have questions, or want to be involved in our podcast in any way, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. That's podcast at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot org. Also, if you've enjoyed the show, you could give us a rating on iTunes, which would be great and would help us reach a wider audience. The executive producer for our show is David Tate. I'm Matt Shedd, and we'll see you next time.